30. Hear now the reading of God's word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. At this time, I'm going to invite our preacher for today, our wonderful pastoral intern, Will Kim. Come on up. Hey, good morning, everybody. Wow, just look at this room. I don't know why I, of all people, just the lowly intern, have the honor and privilege of preaching to you in this big, fancy ballroom to all of you. And as you may see, today is our back-to-school service, our moving-up ceremony, and so we haven't dismissed the kids, so we have the privilege of worshiping together as our whole church family, from the oldest to the youngest, and this is truly a beautiful sight, and it's my honor to, to preach the word of God to you all. It's great to see you all. Um, if you're here, it means you've endured the mess of the parking that is today, so uh, thanks for making it out here. Uh, if you're here for the, here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. Uh, I hope that this Sunday morning you'll be blessed by the word of God and by our church community. Um, like Pastor John said, my name is Will. I'm the pastor intern here, and I'm excited to preach the word of, of God to you all, so will you pray with me one, once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy that we get to come before you, no matter how we are feeling uh, this morning or what kind of weeks we've had, that we get to come before you as beloved children. We thank you, God, that this morning, not just in our church, but in the church universal, all of your sons and daughters are gathering together to sing praises to you and to hear the gospel being preached. And so we pray that this morning, may the gospel go forth. Um, and we pray, God, that as I have the privilege of, of preaching your word, may not be my words, but your words um, that go through me and, and, and go uh, to your children here. So be with us this morning. We pray this on your, in your name. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters of NCF, I am very, very sad to say that we have now reached the end of our summer. You know, I myself am a student. I am going into my third year at Westminster Theological Seminary out in Pennsylvania. And so for all the students here in the room, I feel your pain and anguish knowing that your break is coming to an end and soon we'll all be back in classes with homework and assignments, exams, projects, and the like. I'm right there with you. But whether you're a parent or a student or a working adult uh, or anything in between, I don't know about y'all, but man, at the end of this summer season, I feel exhausted. And I'm willing to bet that Probably a lot of us feel that way as well. Uh, parents, maybe it's because most of the summer was spent driving all, your kids to and fro all their summer activities. Um, students, maybe this summer was jam-packed with camps, uh, summer school, hagwon, uh, maybe sports leagues, uh, some of which that you wanted to do and maybe some of which your parents forced you to do. And maybe for the working adults out there, maybe you told yourself that this summer would be restful and chill 
And somehow, you just got swamped with work, and this summer ended up being busier and more stressful than you ever wanted it to be. So whatever the reason might be, you might be looking back on this summer and think, where did this summer go, and why do I feel so spent? And, and so I want to ask you all, is there no end to our tiredness? Where in the midst of our lives that feel perpetually busy can we find real rest? To which you might be thinking, rest? I don't have time to rest. I have so much to do. My to-do list is never ending. And maybe all the students are thinking, gee, thanks, Pastor Will. You're talking about rest right when school is about to start and our vacation's over. Well, today I want to talk about maybe less about physical rest, as important as that is, but more about how we can find true rest for our souls, which we find in our words that Jesus gives to us in the Gospel of Matthew. These iconic verses that maybe you've heard countless times before. And it's this simple invitation that Jesus gives to all who listen. The simple invitation that says, come to me. And so today, what I want to share with you, my weary and heavy-laden church family, is that true rest is found in knowing God who is revealed to us through Christ. True rest is found in knowing God who is revealed to us through Christ. And I want to talk about this through three main points. First, we're going to talk about the why behind our weariness. Secondly, the source of real rest. And lastly, the Christ who bears our burdens. The why behind our weariness, the source of real rest, and the Christ who bears our burdens. First, the why behind our weariness. Why do we feel so exhausted? And the answer is obvious, you might say. It's because I'm too busy. I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not getting good enough sleep. Maybe I haven't had a vacation in years. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm just serving too much and I feel burnt out. And all these things might be true, but Today, as we dig into our passage, I want to dig into maybe some of the deeper reasons beyond just the physical, uh, why we might feel so restless and weary. And it begins with our Lord Jesus praying to his Father in our passage today. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so in this first verse that we've read this morning, we learn from Jesus that our God is a God who both hides and reveals. Um, but you might be wondering, what are, quote-unquote, these things that our God is hiding and revealing? And we find this answer to this question in the passages, in the verses immediately before the passage that we read today. And this is where Jesus is actually rebuking the cities that he'd been in before. He's actually, uh, it, where these cities where he's done many of his miraculous works and mighty deeds. And here he is rebuking these cities and pronouncing judgment upon them. Because even though they had seen Christ and bared witness to all of his wonderful miraculous deeds, yet it did not lead them to a repentance or even a worship of God. And as Jesus is rebuking these cities, he's talking here about salvation, uh, saying that it's because of their hardness of heart and their unwillingness to repent that God has hidden salvation from them, and them being what we've read in our passage today, the wise and understanding. But why would God be opposed to 
the wise and understanding. After all, isn't wisdom something that we should all strive for? Well, here Jesus is actually being a little ironic because this wisdom that he's talking about is not the one that begins with the fear of the Lord, but actually these quote-unquote wise and understanding are the ones who've rejected and ignored God entirely. And this is because they were blinded by their own sin and pride, which has led them into delusions of their own self-sufficiency without God, apart from God. You know, these are people who think that they have it all figured out on their own, people who rely on their own wisdom, and they think that all that they have and all that they know is what they've made for themselves and earned for themselves. And, you know, before we stick our noses in the air and we wag our fingers at them and say, yeah, those people, what's, what's their problem? What's wrong with them? Uh, I think maybe first we need to look within our own hearts and check our own hearts. Because why do you think Jesus gives this invitation in the first place? Why do you think he says, come to me all who, weary, uh, who labor and are heavy laden? Why would Jesus say, come to me, unless there were already people who were going to so many things other than Jesus? Why would he say, take my yoke upon you unless people were already yoking themselves to things apart from him? And so, NCF, I want to ask you to maybe take a second to reflect and evaluate what are some things of this world that we might find ourselves going to instead of Jesus? What are some things that we might find ourselves yoking to of this world to be our source of rest and comfort or our worth and purpose. Maybe it's your accomplishments and accolades, uh, whether it be your career or academic. Uh, maybe it's, you know, climbing that corporate ladder and watching the bonuses pile up so that you could live your life however you want in the comfort and security that you've built for yourself. Maybe it's the affections of man and the applause of man that you so crave because you find your sense of worth in how liked you are by others or how much they validate you. Or maybe for the parents, it's the way that you raise your children and wanting so desperately for them to have everything that you didn't so that you could live your life vicariously through them. Now, what I want to, I'm not saying here that striving for success or being good at your job or succeeding academically are bad things, or even raising your kids to have a better life than you did. These aren't bad things, but it's when we take these good things into our own hands and make them ultimate things and expect them to provide for us what only God can give to us, that they become idols to us. And this is what sin is, because even though the evidence and works of God are evident all around us, like it says in Romans 1, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is why John Calvin describes our hearts to be idol-making factories because when we reject God, what we end up doing is we work so hard and we try so hard tirelessly to seek our own ways of salvation, to carve out for ourselves our own sources of rest, of purpose, of fulfillment, or enjoyment even. And all of these are wells that run dry that will ultimately leave us empty, weary, hungry, and thirsty. This is why St. Augustine writes in his Confessions, he writes this quote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But how can our hearts rest in the Lord? Which brings me to my second point, which is the source of real rest. So read with me this next verse in verse 27. It says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And just as we've been talking about how God hides and reveals hides salvation from the proud, we also see that God is not just someone who hides and conceals, but someone who reveals. And we find here at the end of our verse that we just read that it is Jesus who chooses to whom the Father will be revealed to. And this brings me to this mysterious but also life-giving topic of divine election. Now, this topic of divine unconditional election is one that can be a little contentious. Um, as many people will say that this is unfair of God to do this and even uncharacteristic of God to do such a thing. It's led to many debates that have led people to criticize the church or even leave the faith entirely. And even many people who are Christian within the church have varying perspectives on this subject. And so really quickly, I just want to go into two warnings about this, about divine election, is that first we must remember simply that he is God and we are not. Uh, he is the God who's been here for all eternity, who's created everything and is Lord over all things, and yet we are small, finite creatures. And so while it's not bad to ask these questions and to wrestle with these questions, uh, we must also be, always be cautious with the way we come before God with our judgments or criticisms. Secondly, as we may wrestle with the fairness or justice of it all, we must always remember that when we stand before God, we don't stand before him as innocent, righteous people who God just blindly chooses who to save and who to reject. But rather, when we stand before God, we all stand as wretched sinners who have been blinded and darkened by the sin of our own hearts, of our own choosing and doing. And while we could go into this endless debate about all the nuances of predestination and election, uh, that's not what I'm here to do this morning. Um, but I, what I am here to do is, is to preach the word of God to you. And I really believe that what this passage shows to us is that knowing we are chosen by God, not because of anything we've done, but because of his divine mercy and his love for us, I think is one of the greatest reasons why we can have rest and find peace in our lives. And yet, this choosing of us, his choosing to love us, is not something that God needed to do. It, it's not that he needed to create us or to love us and save us because he was bored and lonely and he needed something to do or he needed someone to love. But rather, what we find in this verse is Jesus teaching us about this special and unique relationship that Jesus has with his Father. And this relationship shows us that because God the Father and Christ the Son have always had this perfect, loving, intimate relationship with each other through the Holy Spirit, which we may know as the Trinity, and because this, this loving communion has existed for all eternity, this is how we know that our God loves us and created us and saved us, not because he needed to, but because this is who he is in his nature. Our God is love because he's loved 
for all eternity. It's all he's ever done. He is a creator, a life-giving spirit. And it delights our God to overflow and share that love with his creation. Uh, Listen to the words of Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. He writes this, The Father sent his Son to make himself known, meaning not that he wanted simply to download some information about himself, but that the love the Father eternally had for the Son might be in those who believe in him, and that we might enjoy the Son as the Father always has. The Father so delights in his eternal love for the Son that he desires to share it with all who will believe. Ultimately, the Father sent the Son because the Father so loved the Son and wanted to share that love and fellowship. Brothers and sisters, how incredible, how beautiful, and how wonderful is this love that the Father loves us in the same way that he loves his Son. And he did so simply because he chose to. In fact, even as we talked about how the Father loved the Son even before all creation, what we also find in Ephesians through the words of Paul is that God also chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, it says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we've ever done, but because he is rich in mercy and gracious And that's why even to the youngest of our children, we've taught them from VBS this summer, right? We taught them, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. And yet all we have to do is come to Jesus and receive it. And as we've been talking about God hiding and revealing his salvation, uh, let's remember in the passage to whom God does, in fact, reveal salvation to. And it's not to the wise and the understanding, but rather to little children. And why little children, you might wonder? Because little children are, as Jesus described, humble. They are, and no offense to all the kids in this room, they're weak, they're needy, they're dependent upon their parents to provide for them and to care for them. They are hopefully unstained from this world, their minds and hearts still malleable and teachable. And kids, they're willing to be led, taught, and corrected even. And so to all the kids in this room, whether you're in the children's ministry or you're in youth group with me, just know that it's it's good to be young and you don't have to be in such a rush to grow up because it's good to be childlike before our Heavenly Father. And now you might be wondering, you know, Pastor Will, Isn't our whole mission of new creation fellowship to grow up in the gospel? Are you telling us that we shouldn't grow up but instead stay as little children? Well, there is a very important distinction between being childlike and childish. Because to be childlike doesn't mean to be foolish, uh, running away from responsibility and stubbornly refusing to grow up and mature. But... To be a child means to be humble, to recognize your neediness, and to depend on someone else to lead, teach, and provide for you. And while our world and our culture today might tell us that all these things of being humble and needy and dependent are things that make us weak and bad things that we should avoid, what Jesus says in Scripture is that 
It is to the humble child that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's to the little children that belongs the kingdom of God. And so in this sort of backwards way, to grow up in the gospel is actually to grow in childlikeness as we recognize that no matter how important we might be or think ourselves to be, no matter how self-sufficient we might be, that we never outgrow our need for our Father to lead us, to teach us, and to provide for us. And it's only when we truly understand that it's our Heavenly Father who holds the universe in his hands, has put every star in its place, and keeps it all from falling apart. This is also the God who has drawn near to us first, who has loved us first, and now holds us in his hands. And it's when we realize this that we know that we can let go of our own need for control. As we realize this, that we know that it's okay to take a break once in a while, to take a step back from the busyness of our everyday lives, especially on a day like today, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, to be still and to find rest in the Lord. This is why Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And as we come before our Father God who loves us and chooses us by his own great mercy and divine wisdom, let us now look to the Christ who bears our burdens. So would you read with me again these last few verses? This is Jesus saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So as we come to Christ to find rest, Jesus actually tells us that we must do two things. To take up our yoke and to, and to learn from him. Now, as you may know, a yoke is something that farmers use. They put it on the necks of oxen so that they can pull a cart or a plow through a field. And you might be thinking, wait, 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 hold on. You're telling me that I'm supposed to come to Jesus to find rest, but now you're telling me that I have to put on a yoke to do even more work? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, but let's remember who this Jesus is that, comes, that tells us to come to him. He tells us to take his yoke upon us because he is gentle and lowly in heart. And he tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In fact, this word that is used for his yoke being easy in the original Greek is also a word that can be translated as kind or gracious. So I want to share with you this quote from Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He writes this, Here, Jesus is using a kind of irony, saying that the yoke laid upon his disciples is a non-yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver, only to hear him shout back, sputtering, No way! Not me! This is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. Yet this is what we're all like, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. 
And so when Jesus tells us to put on his yoke, it is not one that is meant to be overbearing or tiresome, but it's meant to be a life jacket that keeps us afloat in the midst of the storms of our lives and the burdens we might feel like we're drowning in. Because it is Jesus whose heart is gentle and lowly. He is the Son of God who reveals the Father to us and invites us into the same loving communion in which he has with the Father. And for all the, those who've been students, this is like doing a group project and being assigned, uh, being partnered with the smartest kid in class. You know that even if you were to do nothing and sit back, that your partner will carry you to that A+. And now, students, I'm not suggesting that this is what you should do in your group projects. I know we're all great students, and none of us would do such a thing. It's just an example. But when we put on the yoke of Christ, we know that we are yoking ourselves to the one who takes all of our burdens, and he beckons us again to come and obey. And this is the gospel message, the very foundation of our salvation For Christ demonstrated his gentle and lowly heart by being himself the humble king. He's the one who emptied himself and and was born, lowered himself to be born in the form of man. And he was the one who became and took on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, like we read in Philippians. Christ is the one who carried our burdens as he carried the cross to Calvary's hill where he bore all the weight of the world's sins upon his shoulders. And there he put to death our heaviest of burdens that we wrestle with of sin and death. And so, brothers and sisters, this is where we can find real rest, not in some nice Christian sayings that make us feel better, but in the finished work of the cross. For if he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up, Uh, But he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things like it says in Romans? Then whatever burdens we may carry, whatever anxieties we may feel, whatever doubts we may struggle with, or even whatever exhaustion we may carry with us day by day, we know that we can cast these things upon Christ because he cares for us. And we know that as we give these things to him, that he will give us Rest for our souls. Now, this doesn't mean that for the rest of our days, our lives will be stress-free, problem-free, because truthfully, on this side of eternity, our lives will always be met with trials and temptations and suffering. But yet, even in the midst of our deepest exhaustion and the greatest sufferings and busyness that we may feel, we know that God is the one who helps us in our weakness. For he is the one who has sent us his son and given us his Holy Spirit who sanctifies us to holiness to become so that we can continually become more like his son, Jesus. And it's his Holy Spirit that strengthens us to persevere and endure so that we're able to even look beyond the circumstances that we might feel stuck in and look forward to the future with hope. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 4 reads this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
And so, my beloved NCF family, uh, I, I say again, hear this sweetest of invitations from Christ and come to him as a child because he loves you. And it doesn't matter if you were the prodigal son, the worst of the worst, with a laundry list of mistakes. It doesn't matter if this is maybe your first time even hearing this invitation and you've never heard of Christ's call to you before. And it doesn't matter if you feel completely exhausted, burnt to a crisp, and you feel like you are damaged goods beyond all repair. None of these things disqualify you from Christ's invitation. If anything, they are all the more what make you fit the criteria of him calling out to you. And so go to him, take his yoke upon you and learn from him and allow him to take away your burdens and to reveal to you the love of the Father that he has set upon you before you've ever even lifted a finger to do anything for him. And because of Jesus, we have this love set for us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And we can find rest in that love that has chosen us to adopt us and to call us sons and daughters. And so I ask again, would you come to Jesus? I pray that you will. Would you pray with me once again? Heavenly Father, we come before you earnestly and honestly, laying our burdens before you, saying, God, sometimes we are just so tired. Sometimes we are just so weighed down by the responsibilities that we must deal with every day. Maybe we're so crushed by the sins that we wrestle with. God, we are so weary and heavy laden because life just feels so overwhelming. And Father, even as we end this summer season and look to anew, we might see that there's even more yet that awaits us before us. But we thank you, God, that you are the one who has borne the heaviest of our burdens on the cross. And we can lay these things at your feet and know that none of these things are too much for you because, God, you, your arms are mighty to save. We thank you, O oh God, that it is Christ who we yoke ourselves to, this gentle and lowly and humble king. And as we give our burdens to him, Father, may we experience your peace your true rest for our souls as we learn what it means to entrust ourselves to our Father. May, God, we never cease to be little children who sit at your feet and look up to you with great awe and reverence because we know that, God, as you have taken care of our deepest burdens of sin and death, guilt and shame, we know that, God, there is nothing that is too hard for you. And so, Father, as we begin this new fall season, this new school year for students, may we come to you and trust that you, God, are the one who bears our burdens, who cleanses us of our sins, and loves us with an everlasting, eternal love. We thank you so much, God. May we carry this and, and go into this next week trusting you and finding rest for our souls. We pray this all in your name. Amen.